Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament chapter 20. And uh, again, want to take a moment and welcome not just all of you here in Auditorium 1, but also those of you in Auditorium 2, as well as those of you watching online. It is great to have you with us here today. Last week, we started a new series of messages that we're calling An Appeal to Heaven. Uh, a flag similar to the one that you see on the wall behind me there on that screen is, uh, was in that video, is one that was commissioned by Colonel Joseph Reed in 1775. He was George Washington's right-hand man, and that flag was commissioned uh, for some ships that were going out to protect the harbor, primarily in Boston. And what was so interesting about that, that pine tree, the symbol of that is that it's symbolizing New England and the strength and uniqueness of that region. But that phrase across the top, an appeal to heaven. It's a statement that says we realize that although we can do all that we can, we can work as hard as we must, in the end, our success, our effectiveness, whether or not we have victory in life depends on this, an appeal to heaven. It's a call to pray. And so we're talking about prayer in this series of messages, and we're talking about how God is able to change a nation even through our prayers. And so we're looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It is a story about a time when King Jehoshaphat prayed a prayer that changed the destiny of a nation that was in crisis. And so we're going to jump right in. Let's start with verse 1. This will give us kind of a little recap from where we were last week. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hazan, Tamar, that is, and Gedi. And just to kind of quickly summarize where we were last week, this is bad. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. That's the southern portion of, the, of what at one point was the full nation of Israel. And Judah is being ganged up on by three big bullies. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned, they're overpowered. This is a bad situation. So what do you do in a time like that? Do you run, do you hide? Do you call for some foreign power to come and help you? Look at verse three. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. What did Jehoshaphat decide to do? Instead of running or hiding or really even instead of just trying to fight back, what they chose to do was to pray. Here's why. Because prayer changes things. Do you agree? There are no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Prayer is powerful. It is effective. And it changes things. What I want to do today is give you, if we look at Jehoshaphat's prayer today, I want to give you a model for prayer. Because here's my fear. My fear is that we'll talk all about prayer and how powerful it is. I mean, we talked last week about what happens when we pray. My fear is we'll, we'll talk about prayer, but then we won't take any steps to pray more ourselves. So what I want to do today is give you a model based on Jehoshaphat's prayer that will help us to pray. Because oftentimes I'll have people say to me, well, I know I should pray. I'm just not sure what to pray. I'm not sure what I should say. I'm not sure how I should pray. And I hear that from people maybe who are, who are new to church. Sometimes I hear that from people who have been followers of Christ for a long time and just say, you know, I've never really developed a, an effective way to pray. We're going to look at this prayer from 2 Chronicles 20 today. And oftentimes we, we use the phrase, prayer works. You know, we talk about that. And we might even say, have you ever, you ever heard the phrase, there's no ands, ifs, or buts about it? Have you ever heard that? Today, what I want to give to you are the ands, ifs, and buts of prayer. As we look at this passage of scripture, if we'll remember those words, and, if, and, but, it will help us to have a model to pray. Not just to talk about prayer, but I want you to walk out of here today and be able to pray. So we're going to look at the ands, ifs, and buts of prayer. We see each of those words here. And so let's start here by looking at the ands of prayer. By looking at the ands of prayer. And this is where I think that anytime you want to pray and you want your prayer to be effective, this is where it needs to start. Here's what I mean when I talk about the ands of prayer. 
Uh, And is this powerful little word, three-letter word, that helps us to take two ideas and join them together, right? It's this conjunction that helps us to string things together. Probably the best way for you to see this is to think about when you go to the grocery store, right? You go to the grocery store, you've got your cart, you've got your shopping list, you count things up, it's less than 12, which means you can go through the express lane, right? You're ready to go. And then you get walking through the store, the problem is you went just before dinner. Ever done that? and you're walking through, you know your 11 things, except that looks good. I'll get my 11 things, and I'll get that. Oh, and I'll get that. Oh, and Oreos are on sale, and I'll get that. (laughs) And that, (laughs) and that, right? You do that, and instead of your 11 things, you walk out with two carts. Why? The power of that little word, and. It adds up quick. When we pray, We need to begin by focusing on God and who he is. And when we do, we'll find out that God is this, and he's that, and he's this, and he's that. When we begin to think about him, it's powerful who he really is in our lives. Look at Jehoshaphat's prayer, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors... Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Do you see where he starts in this prayer? This fascinates me, because oftentimes when I pray, especially if I am in some kind of panic, if I have great need, if I'm concerned about something, you know what the first thing I start with in prayer? Help, help, I have this problem, I have this issue, I have this need, that's the first thing I go to. Did you see where Jehoshaphat starts? You, God. He knows the first place, if your prayer is gonna be powerful and it's gonna be effective, prayer starts with God. It starts with us saying who he is, talking about what he's done, reminding ourselves of what prayer is really all about. It's important that we realize who we're talking to. When we pray, prayer starts with God. But I have this tendency, instead of in my prayer, to focus on me. I focus on other things. I focus on my needs, my problems, my issues. When our praying begins with us, our prayers are out of focus. We're we're messing up our prayers if we start with anything other than God. Let me give you just an example. Let's say you're gonna take a picture, and maybe not just with your phone, you're gonna take a picture with a a real camera, with kind of a high-powered, expensive lens on it. When you go to take that picture, you're gonna take time and make sure what you're focused on. Because if you're not focused on the right thing, what happens to everything else in the picture? Everything else ends up being kind of Blurry, right? You don't see it right if your focus isn't right. So if when I pray, my focus is on me or my focus is on my problem, then it means that my whole prayer is kind of blurry. I'm not focused on what really matters. What really matters is God. That's why prayer has to start with him. And here's here's what's so powerful about that. If I'll focus on God, then it clears my mind to really be able to hear from him, to see what he wants to do, and to put my confidence in him at the root of my prayers. Does that make sense? So what is it that Jehoshaphat says about God. Let me share just a couple of those things with you from this passage. One of the things that he says, and what's cool here is he starts to string them together. He says, God, you're this, and you're this, and you're this. These are kind of those ands of prayer. First, he says this, and God is powerful. We see in this passage that God is powerful, a good thing for us to be reminded of. Remember what he said in this prayer? Go back and look at verse six. He said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. God's powerful? He sure is. Look at this. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3 says this. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm. I love this last line. And clouds are the dust of his feet. That is power. Now get this, when you pray, instead of focusing on how big your problem is, wouldn't it be great if you started with how big your God is? 
If you stop and remember that no matter what you are facing, he is more powerful and he is bigger, that helps my prayer to stay in focus on the one who can really help me in the first place. It changes the way I pray. When I start by remembering God, you are powerful. And here's what he also goes on to say. He says, and God is faithful. He's not just powerful, but God is faithful. Do you remember how he describes God in this, in this very first part of verse six? He says, Lord, you are the God of our ancestors. That, that word ancestors may just slip right past you, but it is loaded. These are the Jewish people. When they talk about their ancestors, immediately in their mind, there's history that's unpacked. You've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You've got Moses and Joshua. You've got the kings. You've got, you've got the things that God did to rescue his people. You've got David. You've got Solomon. When he says ancestors, all of a sudden, this history just explodes in their mind. You know why? Because over and over and over again, God's been faithful. Then he goes on to say this. Look at verse 7. And God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He looks back and says, God, you are so faithful. Doesn't it help us when we pray to remember that God has heard our prayers in the past? Doesn't it help us when we pray to be reminded that he never leaves us or forsakes us, that he's always with us? When I remember what he's done in the past, that's how I know that I can trust him today. I'm reminded that God is powerful. I'm reminded that God is faithful and that God is personal. He goes on to say here that God is personal. Now this, is, this is a big deal. Do you remember how he described it? He said, you are the God of the people of Abraham who was your, do you remember the word he used there? He says, Abraham was your friend. Isn't that cool? He's a friend of God. In fact, scripture says that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can all have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We can be a friend of God. Look at this, Hebrews chapter eight, verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. See, for some of us, God or religion has kind of always been this distant thing. There's always kind of been this wall there. We, we felt like somebody else has to, has to help us get there, or somebody else is more spiritual than we are. And the reality is, he is a personal God who wants to be your friend. Can you see how if you start your prayers there, it'll change the way you pray? In fact, remember the, the prayer that Jesus gives us to pray, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six, he begins by saying, our Father. It immediately begins with relationship, focusing on God. So tomorrow, maybe when you're driving into work, when you're getting ready for your day, maybe in a moment when you've got kind of just a, a downtime, a little quiet, or maybe actually in a moment of some great stress that you have, or maybe, maybe for you it's kind of as you're winding down your day. What if you took a little bit of time, what if you took a moment to pray. And what if you started, not just with what you need or, or what's in front of you, but by remembering who God is, that he's powerful, and he's faithful, and he's personal. And, and, and you can go on from there. You, you can think of the ways that God has showed himself to be true to you. What a powerful way to start your prayers. That's the ands of prayer. So let's move on from the ands of prayer then to the ifs of prayer. Let's talk about the ifs of prayer for just a moment. It's a powerful little word, and it's interesting how Jehoshaphat uses it in this passage. Because if you remember this, remember that we talked about the ancestors of the Jewish people. So not only when they thought about their history did they have all these reminders, but when they thought about Scripture, when they would hear certain words, the Jewish people, they knew the book. They knew the scriptures. And so there were certain things that reminded them. So listen to Jehoshaphat's prayer here. It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, speaking about God's people, he says, they have lived in it, speaking of this land, and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. So Jehoshaphat starts that prayer by saying, if calamity comes. He's, he's reminding them that there is a promise that they have that God will help them and God will save them. And when he said that, it, it struck a chord with people. They heard it. They were reminded of another prayer that they knew. 
Because this prayer that he prays in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is actually modeled after a prayer that Solomon prayed in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. If you remember, they, they built the temple for God and they had a dedication for the temple. And at that dedication service, here's what Solomon prayed. 2 Chronicles chapter 6 verse 28. When famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when enemies besiege them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of their afflictions and pains and spreading out their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts for you alone know the human heart. Do you see the, the comparison there? The, Solomon's prayer is, is very similar to the one Jehoshaphat prays. It's influenced by that. They're saying the same prayer. God, will you help your people in times of challenge? What happens after that, after Solomon prays that, is that God appears to Solomon. And in God's words to Solomon in chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, we get probably the most famous if statement in all of scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people, have you heard that before? If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Let me talk to you about the, the ifs of prayer for just a moment. See, what we see here is that Joshua's prayer starts by focusing on God, who he is, his power, his faithfulness, his personal relationship, and then he, he takes them to this place where he wants them to see, look, we are God's people, and we've already seen that when we face times of challenge, if my people will pray. And he challenges them with what kind of prayer they're supposed to pray, how they're supposed to seek God. If my people. And it's this familiar prayer. It was important for them because it was a time of national crisis when Solomon gave them this promise. It was for times when they would face interesting and challenging times. A prayer for a nation in crisis is this prayer. If my people. Do you think our nation could use a prayer like that? So let's talk for just a moment. Let's talk about the, the if of prayer here today. If after we've sought God, and we've, we've talked to him about who he is, those ands of prayer, what does it mean for us to practice the ifs of prayer? I'd begin with this, that, that God's people must be humble in prayer. God's people must be humble in prayer. There's something powerful about an attitude of humility. And when you're in prayer, I, I think it, it just means you're very aware of, of your own heart. That you're not coming with, I, I don't know, I encountered somebody this week, the only way I, I know how to describe, do you know the word smug? It's kind of not humble, isn't it? It was funny, later that day, I encountered another guy who was, who was just very humble, and the contrast between the two. And I just kind of walked away and, and thought, there's, there's a big difference in my response to somebody who's smug and somebody who's humble. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? How do we go to God? I think sometimes we go to God and we forget that he's God. We forget that there's so much more going on than just our own needs and our own wants and our own desires. What if we were to humble ourselves? And we just take our eyes off of ourselves and seek God as the only one who can help us. God's people must be humble in prayer, and God's people must seek him in prayer. Not, not only must we be humble, but God's people must seek him. Here's, here's what he said. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm speaking in, in some place, and I know that, that Rhonda, my wife, is there, I always kind of want to know where she's at. I think there's just kind of that little sense of reassurance that even if I bomb and everybody hates me, one person has to love me. Like, that's, I think, just the, the way that works. So if she's in a service here at Calvary, 
um, and, and I know that she's in there. I know she, she's usually sitting right over there, so I can look, because I know, I know where I'll see her. But if I'm somewhere else, like oftentimes like at a, at a wedding or a funeral in a place that's different, especially here from Calvary, I'll get up to speak, and if I didn't see her come in, one of the first things that I do in that sea of faces when I get up there is I try to find her. I just kind of start looking around. At least one person has to love me here. Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be, right? You know, you're like, and, uh, and I got one choice. It's kind of like, where's Waldo with Rhonda? That's just kind of, you know, that's just kind of the way it works. In that sea of faces, I'm seeking for her face. When was the last time you did that with God? In just everything else that's going on in the world around you, when was the last time that you really just thought, I wonder what he thinks? I wonder where he's at on this. I wonder what, what difference it would make in my life if I was looking to him, if I was looking for him. Oftentimes, from my vantage point as pastor, I'll, I'll be able to watch and see as two people may begin like a romantic relationship with each other. You know, and you, kinda, you can kind of watch, you know, and you can kind of see they're not just friends anymore. They're kinda, there's, a little bit, there's a little magic that's happening, you know what I mean? Then all of a sudden you watch this kind of progress and then you can tell when that relationship is moving forward or when it starts to fizzle. And then I'll talk to people kind of in that, that, that season of time and you'll hear kind of these different factors. One of the things that'll come up is this. Well, they're really not making it a priority to spend time with me. She's too busy. He never wants to make plans. She has too many demands. He's oblivious to my needs. And then eventually, you watch that relationship just kind of dissipate and, and kind of fade away. What's the difference? The difference is whether or not they're spending time together. If they're spending quality time together, oftentimes that relationship will move forward. But if other things become more important, that relationship is just stagnant at best. Do you know what I'm talking about? When was the last time you made it a priority to spend quality time with God? You know, sometimes we talk to him when we need something. But are we really seeking his face? Are we really looking to, to talk with him? See, my encouragement is not that you'll walk out of here today and go, well, I know more about prayer. But that you'll really realize that there's a benefit if you'll spend time with God in prayer. This week, I, I challenge you, when is that time? And I don't mean that you have to block out the first six hours of every day. You gotta get up at four in the morning so you can pray. That would mean you wouldn't leave the house till 10. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you'll have to, you know what I mean, right? Look, you don't have to do that. But where is it that you can deliberately say, God, I'm gonna spend some time with you. It'll make a difference. If we'll humble ourselves, seek his face. And then there's this. God's people must repent in prayer. God's people must repent in prayer. Repentance is a, is, is a whole nother topic to, to jump into. What's he say? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. And oftentimes, I, I need that on a daily basis. I say, God, this, this was wrong, and I need to change that attitude. I need to change that action. I need to change that thought. I need to repent from that. I need to do it as an individual, and I think it's probably important for us to corporately do that, even for our nation. Because there's so many places, there's so many things where we have turned and walked away from God and our prayers will change things. Understand this, prayer changes things, but first it changes me. That's where it begins. Prayer changes things, but first it changes me. That repentance changes me. It changes my heart. It helps me to focus and to see things the way that God sees things. Now we say this, this is a part of this, this, this series of messages. We've made this statement that the prayer of God's people influences the destiny of a nation. We really believe this. You see it in scripture and we've also seen it in the history of our country. You can look at an example of this in the, in the 1730s and the 1740s as there were generations that, that, that were separating from those who first came to the, to the colonies. They began to go further and further away from their faith. And there were leaders in that time who began to be concerned about the fact that people were turning away from the God who had been so faithful to them. I mean, this is just a pattern all throughout scripture. It's a pattern throughout history. And so people began to pray, and it led to this incredible time in the history of our country. We want you to see a little bit about this. Back in June, our family had the privilege 
to visit some of these historical sites in New England with Dr. David Arnett, who's the president at North Point Bible College, and we're, we're indebted to him for a lot of uh, information and help with this series, An Appeal to Heaven. And I want you to see a little bit of that history, if you would please, turn your attention to the screens. This is the Bridge Street Cemetery in Northampton, Massachusetts. Behind me is the marker that commemorates the grave of Solomon Stoddard. For 60 years, he served as the pastor at the First Church here in Northampton. During that time, in the early 1700s, he became concerned because he saw how the generations after the original Puritans came to the colonies began to lose their faith in God. He began to reach out to those generations and was concerned about their salvation. His grandson, Jonathan Edwards, became the pastor of that same church after Solomon Stoddard's passing. And he also was concerned about the lack of religion, the, the lack of faith, the lack of a true relationship with Jesus Christ that was happening in the colonies in those days. Out of this church, first church here in Northampton, he began to preach a message of repentance. He began to preach a message of people coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be familiar with his most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Not far from me here is a, is a marker that commemorates his death. Out of that church in that season, there began a revival that spread all throughout New England, where people began to realize how far they had drifted from the truth of who God was, from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And at that point then, they began to see a revival take place of people becoming Christians and living a life that honored God again. It began when Jonathan Edwards began to preach and encourage people to pray, to seek God, and to ask him to do a work that would see people in their community and New England at that time come to faith in Jesus Christ. There's something powerful that happens when we come together and we pray, when we ask God to do dynamic things on our behalf, just like it was in the days that led to that first great awakening here in our nation. It may be time for us to again appeal to heaven. September 11th, 2001. Do you remember where you were? I remember we were, uh, we were at a minister's retreat. Um, Pastor Bill and I were just sharing about this last night. We were there. Um, if, if you've been around Calvary for a while, Doug Clay, Mike McCrary, Dave Stewart, members of our team, we were all there together. And uh, Pastor Clay actually was teaching this class. And um, I, was, I was running the, the PowerPoint slides for him on the laptop. And he was teaching this class. And this guy come walking in to the class. And he said, um, can we just stop the class for just a minute? A, a plane crashed into the World Trade Center. My mind could not conceive that. In fact, I, I just thought, well, that's just, I mean, honestly, I just thought, well, that's New York City. That's just, you know, like I'm thinking like a little three, four passenger plane, you know, something like that. I remember thinking, you just interrupted this class. I had no idea. He came in a little while later. He said, um, there's a second plane that crashed into World Trade Center. And like, what is going on here? And I remember we, we drove down to Dave Stewart's in-laws down in Columbus, and we, we spent the afternoon there in front of the TV. Could not conceive what we were seeing. Do you remember how the, the, there was this sense of spiritual awareness in our nation in those days after that? It was such a, a unique time in our country. On, on today, the 15th anniversary of that tragic attack on our nation, it's probably good for us to stop and remember some things. 2,752 people lost their lives because of the September 11th attacks. This blew my mind. If, if, you, if you wonder the scope of this, it took 99 days until December 19th of 2001 for the fires at Ground Zero to finally be extinguished. The the cleanup at Ground Zero wasn't officially completed until May 30th of 2002. It took three million hours of labor to clean up 1.8 million tons of debris at a total cost to, to clean up of over $750 million. That, that one day was so significant. It launched an ongoing war on terror that still plays such a prominent role in our nation. There'll be an event today at, at one o'clock at the fire station on Illinois Avenue, and the mayor of Maumee has invited uh, not just the citizens of Maumee, but the churches to, to participate and to, and to take place there, or take part in that there. If you have the opportunity to be there at one o'clock, I'd encourage you to do that. I think not only is it important for us to stop and remember, um, but there's gonna be some time to, to honor those that serve in, in uh, the first responders, uh, fire department, police department, 
who have, I can just tell you this from, from my perspective here at Calvary, since we made the move in, uh, in 2012, they have been so gracious and, and uh, helpful to us. If you have a chance to be there, I, I would encourage you to do that. One of the things about September 11th, though, is you know, we, we so often say never forget. But don't you think there's a lot that we've forgotten? As a nation, I, I think we've quickly let a lot of those lessons slip away. And I would kind of propose to you that we're in a time of national crisis. Not because of an election or the economy or diseases. Ultimately, we're in a place of crisis not because of division or racism or guns or education or morality or gender or immigration or unemployment or health care or abortion or threatened liberties. Are all those things important? Absolutely. Especially as we consider an election season. But they're not the crisis. The crisis is that we found ourselves moving farther and farther away from God and the principles of his word. And today is a good day for us to remember. But more than remember, wouldn't it be good for us to pray? To appeal to heaven because our nation needs it. We appeal to a God, the, the God of the ands that we talked about. He's a God who is powerful and faithful. He's a God who personally wants to know you. And we pray those, those ifs, if my people. We pray with humility. We seek God's face. We repent for ourselves. I think we do well to repent for our nation. And then today I also want to talk to you about the buts of prayer. And this is what we see in the, in the rest of this prayer that Jehoshaphat prays. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 10. He says, but now... Here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repairing, repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Watch this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I think what we're gonna talk about in these last few minutes is critically important. Here's, here's what's, what's kinda interesting, and maybe this is, this is the junior high boy coming out in me a little bit, but I know that as soon as I said the butts of prayer, several of you snickered. You said butts in church. <laughs> I'd rather just acknowledge that and get it out there. You know why? Because I don't want you thinking about it for the next few minutes. You know what I want you thinking about? how powerful this prayer was. Understand this, when you pray, we can be honest with God in prayer. We can be honest with God, that's, that's huge. Because watch how this prayer turns. Jehoshaphat says, God you are powerful and faithful. You are our friend and we seek you because we're in a time of national crisis. Then he says these words at the beginning of verse 10, but now. But's this interesting word, because but means everything's turned here, right? Everything's different now. Powerful, little three-letter word. And he says, God, I know you're great and we're your people, but this ain't looking so good. Sometimes you have to pray a but now prayer. You have to say, God, I know I put my trust in you, but now things don't look so good. But now we're facing this. God, I'm just gonna be honest with you, but now there's this in front of us. Have you ever been there? Here's the reality. God's powerful, isn't he? God is powerful, but life still has trouble. Jesus even said it in John chapter 16. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. It's going to come. There's nothing you can do about it. Here's what you need to know. In those moments, you know the best thing you can do is talk to God about it. That's when you pray a but now prayer. You say, God, I trust you, but now it doesn't look so good. God, I trust you, but now I don't understand this so much. Lord, I know you're in control, but now I need some answers because I don't have them. It's okay for you to pray like that to God. You know why? Because he wants to help you. That's the God he is. He wants to know what it is you're wrestling with. When I was a kid, I remember we had this, we had this minivan and we'd oftentimes take my grandma places with us. She was in her 80s and mobility was kind of an issue for her. And I can remember when I was in high school, you know, we'd, we'd get someplace and I'd, I'd go around to the, you know, the door where she was to kind of help her out. And this was my line. I would step up to the door and I would go, Grandma, take the arm of steel. <laughs> like that. 
You know what she would say to me? Almost, because it became kind of a little joke. She would do this on a regular basis. I'd put my arm out. Grandma, take the arm of steel. Here's what she would say to me. Here, Chad, hold my purse. (laughs) It became funny. Kind of broke my heart, though, just to be honest. Grandma, you never even tried the arm of steel. I'm telling you, check this baby out. It will help you. Here, Chad, take my purse. I wanted to help her. God wants to help you. In fact, he receives glory when you ask him. When you really say, God, I know you're the one I look to. I trust in you, but now it's not looking so good. What's interesting, though, is he goes from the but now prayer to verse 11 when he talks about the see how prayer. He says this, God, do you see how this is going down? Now, we don't know this when we just read this passage on our own, but he knew the history. These three nations that are coming against them, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter two, you'll read about these three nations. Because back in Deuteronomy chapter two, Israel had the chance to wipe them out. Israel had the chance to defeat them. Israel had the chance generations, centuries before Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, they had the chance to destroy these people. Do you know why they didn't destroy the people then? Because in Deuteronomy chapter two, God said, nah, just leave them there. Because I promised their land to to Esau, so they get that land, you just leave them there. So when Jehoshaphat says, God, do you see how these people are coming? You know what he's saying? God, these are the same people we could have wiped out centuries ago, and now they're coming to wipe us out. And guess what, God? That don't seem so fair to me. I'm facing something that could have been taken care of in another way. This didn't have to happen. God, I thought things would be different. Do you see how this is unfair? Look, God is faithful, but life does not always seem fair. Would you agree? God's faithful, but life doesn't always seem fair. What do you do when it's not fair? When things didn't go the way you wanted them to? When you got done wrong, when the powers that be took advantage of you, when you got the diagnosis you didn't expect, what do you do when life's not fair? I've seen people make two choices with God, how they respond. When trouble comes, you can choose to reject God or rely on God. It's a choice that you have to make. And I guarantee you, there's some of you in this room that are probably wrestling with that choice right now. I encounter people all the time. They say, you know what, I have a hard time trusting God because I went through this. I have a hard time believing there's a God who loves me because this happened in my life. And I experienced this and it's just not fair. And so instead of relying on God, they reject him. The reality is, what is wisdom? Wisdom is that when you face hard times, Instead of blaming God, we should run to him and know he's the only one that can help us. That's what Jehoshaphat does here. He says, look, God, this is not fair, so that's why I'm coming to you. God, you could have wiped them out centuries ago, and now they're coming to wipe us out. God, this is not fair. Do you see how this is going down? It's not fair. What's your choice? You can reject him or you can rely on him. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to, to really watch any football yesterday, but did anybody see the highlights from the Central Michigan-Oklahoma State game? Did anybody see that? There was this play at the end of the game that was, I'd never seen anything kind of quite like it. And long story short, kind of gets down to where there's really no time left on the clock. They give the ball to Central Michigan, who are, are losing at the time. So what they do is they've got really no time on the clock. Quarterback throws this Hail Mary pass. It was incredible. This dude catches it right outside the end zone, and then he laterals it to this other guy who's waiting, who then pushes his way into the end zone. Touchdown. Central Michigan, the underdog, defeats Oklahoma State. People go crazy. It's huge. It's crazy to watch this happen. It was a cool play. Here's the problem. It wasn't, they never should have had the ball in the first place. Like the officials made a bad call. The game should have been over. They should have been off the field. Oklahoma State should have won. At that point, they should have been in the locker rooms. People should have been going home. Instead, Central Michigan gets a chance, and they pull off this incredible play, but they win a game that they never should have won. Do you know what the boys from Oklahoma State are doing today? They're sitting around. They're blaming the officials. They're saying, we should have won that game. This is not 
fair. And it's not. I have advice for the boys from Oklahoma State. Do you know what I think they should do? Quit. <laughs> just stop. I'd stop the whole, I'd, I'd call the president of the university and just tell them, stop, quit. Just shut down your football program. If this is the way you're gonna be treated, I wouldn't even play anymore. I'd do something else. If you're gonna go out there and these officials are gonna make bad calls like this, you have a loss when you should have a win and it's not fair, so what I would do is quit. Just give up, walk away from the whole thing, stop playing football. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. (laughs) They're not gonna quit. They're gonna go back out with a vengeance next week. It would be ridiculous for them to quit just because they weren't treated fairly. It would be ridiculous for you to walk away from God just because you say things aren't fair. He's the only one who can help you. And when you come to those moments, it's okay to say, God, do you see how this is going down? God, this isn't fair. But I'm not gonna reject you. I'm gonna rely on you. Which leads to this last kind of prayer. It's what I would call an eyes are on you prayer. We looked at this last week. Remember what Jehoshaphat says? I love the end of verse 12. He says, God, we don't know what to do. We're outnumbered, we're overpowered. We've got no hope in this situation. These three bullies are coming to destroy us. God, we got this big problem out here and it's just not fair. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Some of you are there right now. You're in a situation where you say, this thing I'm going through, it's just not fair. I didn't see this happen. God, I have a problem. This is where that little word but makes all the difference. Say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. God, we do not have the power, but God does. We do not have the answers, but God does. In fact, I would propose to you that the very gospel itself, the very truth of salvation hinges on those two words, but God. Ephesians chapter two, verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. So we've talked about prayer today. We've talked about the ands, the ifs, and the buts. And you know what would be wrong? I think it'd be wrong for us to walk out of here talking about prayer and never stop and take time to pray. So in these next few moments, what I want to do, just before, just a few minutes before we wrap up, I want to walk you through that pattern, the ends, ifs, and buts of prayer. And we're going to pray that together. Now, you may be watching online. You might be over in auditorium too. You might be in this room. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you not to check out on me. I know I've been in those services where, where I know the pastor's bringing it in for a landing, and I can't wait for him to say, bow your heads and close your eyes, because I can't keep my eyes open anyways. Right? There's those moments. And then, and then you close your eyes, and you're like, can't wait for lunch. Thank you, Jesus, for lunch. But I'm praying for lunch now, so when it comes to the table, I can just eat. Thank you, Lord. For, you're already there. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Dial in for these next few moments. Don't just listen to a guy pray. Would you pray with a guy? And there's going to be a couple of moments here where, where I'm going to stop talking, and it'll be a little quiet. So for some of us, it might be a little awkward. It's because I, I want you in your heart to pray. In fact, some of you, it might just kind of be in your nature to kind of, to kind of speak out a little bit. We're going to thank God in just a moment. If you, if you want to be a little verbal, I think God's honored by that. That's okay. Let's take these next few moments and let's, as God's people, actually appeal to heaven on behalf of our families, behalf of our church, on behalf of our nation. Will you pray with me? So, Father, we come to you today. And, Lord, we know that if we focus our prayer on anything other but you, It's going to just get blurry. So we start, Lord, by thanking you. Because, God, you are powerful. Many of us in this room are facing big things. And, God, we're so thankful that in your power and in your might, God who is in heaven, you are more powerful than all those things. God, you are powerful and you are faithful. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Church, I'd ask right now, just kind of right where you are, would you begin to, in your mind, list the ways that he's been faithful to you? 
just begin to thank him. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness, for the way that you always provide, the way that you never leave us. Father, the way that even in those times when life is hard, I can put my trust and my confidence in you. Right now, would you just thank him in your own heart? Praise you, God. Jesus, we thank you that because of the cross, we can have a personal relationship with you. You are powerful and you are faithful and you are our personal God. We can be your friend. So, Lord, we thank you for that today. We don't need anybody to lead us to you. But that because of the work of the cross... Jesus, because of your sacrifice, things can be right between us and God. Before we leave the ands of prayer, there may be some of you that are, that are hearing this and you know that right now things aren't right between you and God. You know that what you need can only be found in Him. Maybe you just come to this realization where you say, I just can't do it on my own anymore. My mistakes and sins keeps coming back to me. My challenges seem to overwhelm me. You feel like you're missing out on peace or joy or hope or a purpose in your life. I can tell you that that will only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so maybe today the most important thing you can do in this moment is to pray a prayer where you would make him your Lord and your Savior. To look to him and put your trust and your confidence wholly in him. You're, you are in a setting where there are literally hundreds of people who have made that decision, that choice to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. And you could not make a better choice for yourself here today. So as we continue to pray, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you know Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior, then I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer out loud with me. And if today you need to begin or begin again that relationship with Jesus Christ, I would invite you to pray this as well. Would you, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today, that you'd forgive my sin, change my life. I give myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, as we continue to pray, we go from the ands to the ifs. Lord, and we know that your word says that if a nation is in crisis, if my people who are called by my name will pray, then you can heal our land. Calvary, what I, what I want to do is I want to stop for just a moment and uh, the governor of Ohio has requested that people pause for a moment and take a, uh, a moment of silence on this September 11th, 15th anniversary. So before we pray any further, could we just stop and do that? I'm going to invite you just to take a moment of silence and let's remember. Father, today we, we remember that day 15 years ago. So many of us remember it so vividly. And God, we pray for those who lost loved ones who were so impacted by that just evil attack. And Lord, we ask that you would protect our nation. Lord, we pray for our leaders, for our president, and we pray now for who will be our president. God, that you would guide them, that they would see and know your hand at work in their lives. Would you send people alongside of them, Lord, who would speak truth and wisdom, principles from your word. 
And we pray for our Congress, the Supreme Court. Pray for leaders in, in all the different areas of government and our federal, state, and local levels. We ask that you would give to them the, the strength and the wisdom that they need. Lord, may they see you. Lord, we thank you for our military. Lord, and especially since September 11th, so much that's changed for our armed services. Lord, would you guide the leadership? Lord, would you protect them? Would you give them favor in the things that they do? Lord, we do pray for our, our police and our fire departments, for first responders, for those that, that serve in our community to keep us safe. Lord, again, on this September 11th, we, we lift them up to you. And Lord, we're keenly aware as your people that as we humble ourselves and as we seek you, that there is a need for repentance in our country. Lord, as your church, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us, that you would help us to be the light of the world as you've called us to be. And Lord, we ask that you would send an awakening. Lord, that again, you would turn people's hearts in our nation to come and know you and that you would heal our land. Lord, we know that you can because of who you are and because we're your people. One last thing, I want to pray for the, the buts that we talked about. Here's what I want to ask. Some of you are here today and you have a, a situation that you're facing that is a big problem. You say, but now, God, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe you're even up against something that you say is not fair. See how this has gone, God? And you would say, today what I need to pray is an eyes are on you prayer. God, I, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. If that's you, would you stand right where you are? I, I don't need to take long to do that. If you know that you're up against something that you say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Lord, I'm, this is big and I'm not sure how to handle it. Or Lord, this doesn't even maybe even seem fair. And you just know that you're in that place and you say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Just stand right where you are, whether you're in auditorium too, maybe even you're watching online or on a screen somewhere. I'd encourage you, don't talk yourself out of it. It's all I'm going to ask you to do just to stand right where you are. God, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. If you're near somebody that's standing, I'd encourage you just to maybe place a, place a hand on their shoulder. You don't, you don't even need to say anything. Just, just to take a moment to encourage them. Let them know somebody's praying with them. Lord, we come to you. Lord, I pray for those that are standing today. Lord, we've already affirmed that you are powerful and that you are faithful. Lord, would you remind them right now that you are their friend. And Lord, in this situation where they don't necessarily know that they have the answers, they're not sure how this is going to play out. They don't know what to do. But Lord, right now we put our eyes on you. We put our trust in you. We put our hope in you. And we look to you, Lord. Thank you for this today. In Jesus' name. I want to encourage you to pray through those prayers this week to put your confidence and your trust in him could we all stand just before we go father as we go from here today we ask that you'd go with us lord we ask that you would send us out with your special favor your wonderful peace we ask this in jesus name amen